So the first reading is from Exodus. The Ten Commandments. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Do not have other gods beside me. Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the father's sin to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing faithful love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God, because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You are to labour six days and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work, you, your son or daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock or the foreigner who is within your gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them in six days. Then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. Honour your father and your mother so that you may have a long life in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony against your neighbour. Do not covet your neighbour's house. Do not covet your neighbour's wife, his male or female slave, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbour. And we'll continue with Matthew chapter 15, starting from verse 1. Then Pharisees and scribes came from Jerusalem to Jesus and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they don't wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break God's commandment because of your tradition? For God said, Honour your father and your mother, and the one who speaks evil of father or mother must be put to death. But you say, whoever tells his father or mother whatever benefit you might have received from me is a gift committed to the temple. He does not have to honour his father. In this way, you have revoked God's word because of your tradition. Hypocrites! Isaiah prophesied correctly about you when he said, These people honour me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines the commands of men. Summoning the crowd, he told them, Listen and understand. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man, but what comes out from the mouth. This defiles a man. When the disciples came out and told him, Do you know that the Pharisees took offence when they heard this statement? He replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father didn't plant will be uprooted. Leave them alone. They are blind guides 
And if the blind guide the blind, both will fall into the pit. Then Peter replied to him, Explain this parable to us. Are you still lacking in understanding? He asked. Don't you realise that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart, and this defiles a man. For from the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immoralities, thefts, false testimonies, blasphemies. These are the things that defile a man, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile a man. When Jesus left there, he withdrew to the area of Tyre and Sidon. Just then, a Canaanite woman from that region came and kept crying out, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly tormented by a demon. Yet he did not say a word to her. So his disciples approached him and urged him, Send her away, because she cries out after us. He replied, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came, knelt before him and said, Lord, help me. He answered, isn't it right to take the children's bread and throw it to their dogs? Yes, Lord, she said. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's temple. Then Jesus replied to her, Woman, your faith is great. Let it be done for you as you want. And from that moment, her daughter was cured. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Lord, we want to honour you as our God and we want to live lives which honour you as our God. We thank you for your word which uh, gives light to our minds and our souls. We thank you for the way that your spirit prods us and convicts us. And Lord, we thank you for that promise that your word will not go out and return to you empty. And we claim that promise tonight in Jesus' name. I want to think about uh, a word which appears in Matthew chapter 15 in verse 7. You want to grab your reading. It's the word which uh, Ben read so well, uh, yet very politely. And it's the word hypocrites. So if Jesus was reading the Bible tonight, he would have said, Hypocrites! Hypocrites! But we're very polite in... Australian and English circles, so we would never shout in church. You may have seen this poster outside of churches in Sydney a few years ago. It said this, this church is not full of hypocrites. There's always room for one more. And it's clever. I like it. I understand what it's trying to say. It's trying to say that the church is not full of perfect people. You don't have to be perfect to join the church. No one is perfect. Church is full of sinners. And of course I agree with that, but 
I don't totally agree with this poster. Because just because you're in church doesn't mean you're a hypocrite. If you're here in church tonight and you're, you're a sinner, you recognize you're a sinner, but you've come to Jesus and you've had yourself washed in his blood. If you're in church tonight and you say, yeah, I'm not perfect, I'm far from perfect, but Jesus loves me and Jesus has forgiven me. I'm here tonight and, and I'm not perfect, but I'm trying to be better. You're not a hypocrite. You're just a sinner saved by grace. The hypocrites are the person, the man or the woman, who just lives a pretend life. And that's the word that's used for hypocrites in, in the original language. It's literally the play actor. It's the person who gets into character, who acts as though they're on a stage. It's the person who drove to church tonight and you found your parking spot. And, and you, you, you got out of the car, you slammed your car door, and then you went into character. Because you walk into a church building and so you think, oh, as I sing the song tonight, I, I, I'll close my eyes because that will look good. And as the prayers are prayed tonight, you'll do the evangelical, hmm, because that will sound good. As the sermon is preached tonight, you'll take notes because that looks good. And you'll go out to supper tonight because you know you should go to supper and you'll have a fake conversation about spiritual things, and you'll go back to your car, get back in the car, and go back to being the real you. That's the hypocrites. The people who pretend. They put on the face, they pretend to worship God, they pretend to sing, they pretend to listen to the sermons, but it's all show, it's all an act. It's a person who claims to love Jesus, but there's no evidence of that by the way they treat other people. The person who claims to love God, they claim to know the Bible, and they're very quick to point out the sin in other people's life. But they're very slow to deal with the sin in their own life. And when Jesus saw people that he calls hypocrites, he's just blunt and he is bold and yes, he is condemning. Jesus didn't mince his words, did he? And nor should we. Because hypocrisy in the church is a tragic thing. Hypocrisy in God's church is a tragic thing. Yet hypocrisy is a word that is used time and time and time again by our world to describe Christians. In a recent survey, three out of four people said they thought Christians were hypocrites. And I don't think that our cause has been helped much in the past couple of weeks, has it? That word hypocrisy has been flying around the media with all the news of the abuse in the Catholic Church, the discussion on the law of the confessional, uh, the stories of thousands of lives that have been permanently and tragically damaged by the emotional, physical, and sexual abuse they suffered from the hands of so-called priests. And our world shouts hypocrites and I join them and shout, hypocrites. And to stand in church and to lead beautiful prayers and beautiful services and to assure people of forgiveness and then to blatantly and repeatedly and unrepentantly, that's the key word, unrepentantly keep on abusing these young people and claiming to love God, that is hypocrisy. And I'm not just Catholic bashing. We evangelicals are very good at the hypocrisy. We're experts in hypocrisy. 
And we're very good at saying, you're a sinner, but then we just leave the plank in our own eye. We're very good at critiquing every other denomination and pointing out all the things that's wrong with them and ignoring all the problems in our own denomination. We're very good at being quite rude to people and harsh to people, but we're just trying to share the gospel with them. I'm not bashing any one particular domination. I'm just saying that all churches are full of hypocrites. The true story of an evangelical Christian who was involved in a, a bike accident. He was taken to the hospital, and in the emergency, they ripped off his shirt, and, and it had, had tattooed across his chest, J-E-S-U-S, Jesus. And the doctor was heard to say, I wonder if it is deeper than the skin. I wonder whether his love for Jesus is more than skin deep. Because Jesus hates hypocrisy. He hates religious hypocrisy. We're in Matthew's Gospel. Verse 1, the Pharisees, the religious people, the people who knew their Bibles so well, the scribes, they wrote down the law. They came from Jerusalem. That is, they come from the temple where they've been worshipping God. And they came to Jesus and they asked a question in verse 2. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands when they eat. Just so you understand how staggering this question is, how ridiculous this question is. Jesus has just fed 5,000 people. He's fed 5,000 people with his loaves and fishes. He's had compassion on people. He's saved souls. And the Pharisees, the religious people said, oh, but they didn't wash their hands first. They fed all these people, but they forgot to wash their hands. They broke our traditions. Don't you find that staggering? Religious people, high doctrine of scripture, discipline and devotions. They think they are so close to God, but Jesus says, no, no, actually you're so far away from God. That's his verdict in verse 7. Hypocrites, play actors. Isaiah prophesied correctly about you when he said in Isaiah chapter 29, these people, they honor me with their lips. They use religious language. They talk about God, but it's all words because, verse 8, their heart is far from me. These people, they put on religious clothing. They go to religious buildings. They look the part. They act the part. They speak the part. They say the prayers. They keep the rules. But in reality, their heart, verse 8, is far, far from me. And because of that, verse 9, their worship is in vain. It's literally empty. It is meaningless. It is foolish. There's no purpose to it. And verse 9, they teach as doctrines the commands of men. All these rules, all these traditions, all these man-made rules. They put them on par with Scripture. And I love how blunt Jesus is. He doesn't wrap it in cotton wool, does he? He just tells it how it is. And you might find that offensive, as his disciples did. But Jesus is blunt because religious hypocrisy is dangerous. It's not just worthless. It is dangerous. Let me just say that I can bet there are Pharisees in the room tonight. You you love the rituals, you love the traditions, we love the rules, you know what to say, how to say it, you play the part, you've been doing it for years, but it's all fake. 
And let me also say that we're all prone to be the Pharisee. We love to slip into rules because it makes us feel good. We're all in danger of hypocrisy. I am and you are. And Jesus highlights a a couple of things for the Pharisees. There was their tradition. So they had this tradition, verse 2, of washing their hands. That was the presenting issue. It's not about food and hygiene. It's about ritual purification. To meet with a holy God, to be clean before a holy God, you had to make sure that your hands hadn't been polluted by those what they called those horrible Gentiles. And just to give you an idea of how ludicrous this hand-washing was, let me read this extract from the life and times of Jesus the Messiah. Water jars were available at every meal. The water was poured first on both hands held with the fingers pointed upwards, and the water had to run down the arm as far as the wrist and then drop off because the water was unclean. And then the process was repeated with the hands held downwards, and finally each hand was cleansed by itself individually to prevent cross-pollution. And a strict Jew would do this before every meal and between every course in every meal. And the value of hand washing was held so high that one rabbi insisted that whoever eats his common food with rinsed hands may rest assured he has eternal life. And a certain rabbi who was imprisoned and given a small ration of water used that water to wash his hands before eating rather than drink it, claiming he'd rather die than transgress transgress the tradition. And it sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Who'd ever slip into those kind of religious traditions? And the answer is we do. We love our traditions. In some churches you stand for the gospel reading. You have a quiet time. If you haven't had a quiet time, are you right with God? You must preach for 30 minutes. You can't preach any longer. You must have communion. You must be baptized. All these traditions. Often good things. Often right things. But we worship the tradition rather than the God behind the tradition. Charles Spurgeon Asked his congregation one day, great question, if there was no Sunday morning service at 11 o'clock, how many of you would be Christians? If there was no Sunday evening service, so you had to come to church on a Sunday morning, how many people here would be in church? And I think if Jesus was here tonight, he would say, I don't care whether you wear a tie and a suit to church or your thongs and shorts. I don't care whether you dance in the aisle or stands with your hand by your side. I don't care about what you look like or, how, or what you do. It's about your heart. Is your heart close to me or far from me? That's what he would say. And that's the problem with traditions. It's all about the outward actions, not the inward heart. How do you spot tradition in church? A really good way to spot tradition is, is when the new person walks into church, when the outsider walks into church for the first time, and they say, why do you do that? And you sit there and you think, oh, there's no biblical grounds, but you know, we've always done it that way. That's how we do it in this church. And you hold so tightly to that tradition that you can't possibly do it any other way. That is a very dangerous place to be. Equally dangerous are the, the rules, the religious rules that we create. 
Look at verse 3. Jesus said to the Pharisees, Why do you break God's commandments, the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words, because of your man-made traditions? For God said in his word in Exodus 20, he said, Honor your father and your mother. And in Leviticus 20, the one who, puts, who speaks evil of his father or mother must be put to death. This is the word of the Lord. This is what Scripture says. This is what God says. But you say in your laws, in your man-made laws and laws, whoever tells his father or mother, whatever benefit you might have received from me as a gift committed to the temple, he doesn't have to honor his father. And in this way, you've evoked God's word because of your tradition. Hypocrites. Just so you understand this, they had this rule as Pharisees that, that you could decide that, that certain part of your money you were going to devote to God and dedicate to God and give to the temple or give to the church, your weekly offering to the temple. And that has been devoted to God. It's called Corban and you can't touch it. And that sounds very devout. It sounds very religious and very impressive, giving money to the church. Looks good, doesn't it? Now, here's the issue. Say, for example, that your elderly parents got sick one day and that they needed money for medical help. And you turn around and say, oh, too bad. Uh, my money is Corbin. It's dedicated to God. I can't touch it. That's what they did, the Pharisees. And here's the even more bizarre thing. This is why religious rules suck, is that uh, the, the, these people could actually put the money aside in their own bank account and earn interest. They never had, actually had to give it to the temple or to the church. But in their heart, they devoted that money to God so you couldn't touch it. And their parents still sit sick without medical help because you've given your money into your own bank account, so-called devoted to God. And Jesus says you're hypocrites. Uh, think about scripture. Look at that command, honor your father and your mother. It's deliberately vague, isn't it? It's deliberately open. What does it look like to honor your own father, to honor your own mother? I, I guess you're like me. You'd, you'd love the Bible to say you have the responsibility to pay the medical bills for your parents once they turn 60. You must phone your mother once a week. You must visit your parents once a month. If we had those rules, we could tick them off and feel good about ourselves. But it doesn't say that. It says, honor your father and your mother. And what that looks like for you will be different for the person next to you. I want to imagine this scene. In this church, let's call him Pastor Pete, stands here Sunday by Sunday. And he talks about his charitable bank account dedicated to God's work. It is beautifully crafted sermons and these glorious Sunday services. And Jesus could say to him, you know, you may have your charitable bank account, but there's a little old lady, aged 90 years, living in a bedsit, and she's called your mother, and you've never visited her. I hate, I hate your charitable bank account. Honor your father and mother. And Jesus could say, your sermons, they're wonderful. You spend 20 hours preparing, but you've got a wife who you emotionally or verbally abuse and slander. You've got kids who you exasperate. And you know what? I hate your sermons. You've got a friend you don't care for. Your language is in the gutter. You don't care for your neighbors. And God doesn't give two hoots about your beautiful services. 
See, we just love traditions and rules and looking good. And Jesus says it's not about that. It's about what? Verse 8 is about your, your heart and whether your heart is close to God or far from him. That's the problem, the human heart. That's the real issue, what's going on here in our heart, not the outward appearances. It's what God said way back in when he chose David to be king. Do you remember that? When God chose David to be the king, he said, man looks at the outside, but God looks at the, at the heart. And God is not like us. God looks at our heart, not the outward appearance. We're obsessed by what you eat and what you wear and how you look and where you live. And Jesus says, I don't care about what you wear or what you eat or how you look or, or, how, or where you live. What I care about is, is your heart. Because according to verse 11, it's not what goes into the mouth that makes you unclean, it's what comes out of your mouth. Or down to verse 17. It's quite graphic. Don't you realize that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and then is eliminated as a polite way the literal translation is evacuated into the toilet. He says you don't get unclean by eating certain things. You don't separate yourself from God because you wear the wrong clothes or you don't wash your hands before eating. That's not the issue. The issue is this thing called your heart. Verse 18, what comes out of the mouth comes from the, from the heart and this defies a man. Jesus says, you know, I can't see your heart, but I can hear your words. I, I don't know what's happening in here, but I can see your actions. And then he gets really uncomfortable in verse 19. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immoralities, thefts, false testimonies, and blasphemies. These are the things that defile a man. Eating with unwashed hands doesn't defile a man. Don't you hate how Jesus does that? It makes you feel so uncomfortable, doesn't he? He kind of looks at you and says, you ever had that moment where you're talking to somebody and suddenly in your mind you think, I, I really don't like you. And you go, whoa, where did that come from? Oh, that's right, from my heart, because my heart's not pure. And you've got that moment where you're actually having a, a, an argument with someone. You're getting angry with them. You're shouting at them. You're thinking, why am I doing that? Why am I saying that? Oh, that's right. My heart is unclean. It's not pure. Or you've got your adulteries, the lust, the lingering looks, the far imagination that comes from the impure heart. The thefts, the false testimonies, the slander, the lying, the gossip, the character assassination. Where did all that words come from? It comes from here. Do you ever do that? Do you ever stop and listen to the words that come out of your mouth? You think, where did that come from? And you're supposed to say, yes, right, this is my heart, because my heart is not clean. Am I the only one feeling uncomfortable? And Jeremiah 17 verse 19 says, the heart is deceitful above all things. And that is so true. We can put on a good facade, can't we? We can say the right words. We can do the right things. That's where religion and traditions and rules are so popular. But they don't deal with the real issue, which is this. An unclean, hard heart. And I love it when kids get their theology right. Sometimes kids can say things so much more clearly than adults ever can. 
says a quote from a six-year-old to her mum. Mum, I think Jesus was the only one who ever dared to live his inside out. I think Jesus was the only one who ever dared to live his inside out. He's saying Jesus is the only one who had a really pure heart, so everything he said and did was actually genuine. What you saw is what you got. But that was Jesus. It's not me. It's not you. I need a new heart, and so do you. So how do you get this new heart? How do you deal with your hypocrisy? My third word for you tonight is this. It's humility. The way you deal with your hypocrisy, the way you deal with your hard heart is to humbly sit at the feet of Jesus and beg for mercy. And that's where this Canaanite woman is such a beautiful example. Her humility, her helplessness, and her cry for mercy. Look at her with me. Verse 21, when Jesus left Jerusalem, he withdrew. He deliberately went to the area of Tar and Sidon, which is pagan territory. And just then, a, a Canaanite woman from that region came and kept crying out, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly tormented by a demon. And just like the Samaritan woman last week, we know nothing about her. And she's a Canaanite. If you know your Bibles, the Canaanites hated God's people. They were so far away from God's people. They were enemies of God's people. As she's a woman. So for the Pharisees, she would have been doubly insignificant. She's a Gentile and she's a woman. And yet Jesus loves her. She comes to Jesus and she's crying out. Because her daughter is cruelly tormented by a demon. Can you imagine the shame year after year after year of having to apologize to people for her daughter's behavior? Year after year after year visiting every doctor in Canaan, every alternative, please heal my daughter, but she's never healed. And then she hears about Jesus and she's so desperate. So she comes to Jesus and she cries out, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. Can you imagine the scene? There, there is Jesus. There's this woman. And she's crying out, Lord, I've got nothing to offer you. I can give you nothing. I am penniless. I haven't got anything to pay for you. Just have mercy. I don't deserve anything. But I see that you're the Messiah. You're the son of David. You're the one that was promised about. You're the one who can heal the sick. Please have mercy. Isn't that humble? And you expect Jesus to turn around and say, woman, of course I'll have mercy. But he doesn't. Verse 23, he didn't say a word to her. And his disciples are kind of embarrassed because this, this Canaanite, like a Palestinian woman, is, is begging at the feet of Jesus. And the disciples are kind of saying in verse 23, this is all very embarrassing, get rid of her. And Jesus said, no, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I came for the Jews, but then for the Gentiles. And she came, and look at her posture in verse 25. She's not standing, is she? What's she doing? She's kneeling. It's a sign of humility, sign of dependence, sign of desperation. And she utters the words, Lord, Lord, help me. I'm desperate. I need you. Lord, I need you. 
Every hour I need you. And Jesus answered, it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Uh, the children here are the Israelites, God's people. Uh, the bread is the, the covenant blessing of belonging to God. He's saying, it's not right to take the promises and the blessing that belongs to God's people and throw them to the dogs. That's a derogatory term for the Gentiles. It's pretty racist, isn't it? I read lots of commenters this week and they kept saying things like, Jesus is being humorous. <laughs> Jesus is being sarcastic. I don't think he's being humorous or sarcastic. He's being very blunt. It's not right to take the promises for God's people and chuck them to the Gentiles. And she says to him, yes, Lord, you're right. I deserve nothing because I'm a nobody. I've got nothing. I deserve nothing. Yes, Lord, you're right. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She's saying, Lord, I deserve nothing, but all I'm asking for is just to sit at your feet. I don't have to be at the table. I'll just sit under the table. I, I don't need the finest food. I just need a few crumbs. A few crumbs from you are better than a feast with you. A few crumbs from you are better than a feast without you, rather. I'll be satisfied with just a few crumbs from you, Jesus. And Jesus replies in verse 28, Woman, your faith is literally very great. Can you imagine Jesus looking at you? You're on your knees. Lord, help me. Lord, have mercy. And she says, Man, woman, your faith, your faith is very great. I've read through the whole of Matthew's Gospel. I don't think there's any other individual in Matthew's Gospel who's given such great praise as this woman from Canaan. Why did Jesus praise her? What did she do? What did this woman do? She just humbly came to Jesus and she said, Lord, I need you. Have mercy on me. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the, the cross I cling. And she is the great example of how to get rid of your, your hypocrisy. Just humbly come to the feet of Jesus and say, I can do nothing I can offer you nothing, just have mercy on me. And she's a great example of how to deal with your hard and clean heart because you can't clean it by religion. You can't clean it by traditions. You can't clean it just by coming to church and keeping rules. It's about sitting at the feet of Jesus saying, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. Have mercy on me, Lord. Please help me. Lord, I need you. Maybe you are here tonight and you love rules. You love church because you like the stuff that we do. You like the songs that we sing and the prayers that we pray and the way that we do stuff, but you know that your heart is far from God. And I'm asking you just to come to the feet of Jesus and just sit at his feet and say, Lord, help me, have mercy on me. Let's pray together. Lord, we need you. How we need you. Every hour we need you. Father, forgive us for our hypocrisy. Forgive us for the way that we just act the part, but our heart is so far from you. Give us that humility just to sit at your feet, begging for mercy.
please give us that humility to say that we can offer you nothing and yet you love us and you forgive us and you call us your, your son or your daughter. Please help us to worship you with our hearts that are pure because they've been washed in the blood of Jesus. We ask that for Jesus' sake.